And good morning. Really? No slides yet? Should we start it again? While he's doing that, let me just share something with you if I can. It's uh, Memorial Day. Nothing happy about Memorial Day. It's really a day of reflection. As you uh, go back into the Bible, you'll find something interesting. At least I think it's interesting, and that's this. The first day of creation, God created time. Second day of creation, God created uh, weather. And the third day of creation, God created food. That food that he created was prior to the fall, contained seeds, seed-bearing food. If you think about it, even prior to the fall in that seed-bearing food, written into creation from the very onset was death. And food was designed to go into the ground to die and to bear seed or if the animals prior to the fall, what did they eat? They ate that food and they distributed seed as a result and grass grew. Written into creation from the very beginning was the cross. The picture was painted even before the fall that there would be a seed that would go into the ground, it would die but it would produce fruit. Every time you plant as you are right now, you're out working in your gardens planting seed. When you put a seed in the ground, it is a picture of the cross. It is a picture of Calvary. Because what's going to come up is a beautiful plant that's going to spring flower. There is an eternal principle that's written into creation from the very beginning of time, and it's this. In order for there to be life, there has to be death. And God wrote that in there so that every time we go out in our garden and we look at the flowers and we look at the plants, we're reminded of the cross, that it takes death to produce life. As we celebrate Memorial Day, we're reminded that it takes death to produce life. All of creation points to one thing. All of creation and all of the activity of creation and all of the activity of all people points to one thing, the cross. Everyone needs a savior. When I was a young boy, our babysitter, when he graduated from high school, was drafted in was drafted and chose to join the United States Marines. Shortly after he left to go to Vietnam, he was KIA. And I never forget it, because he was our babysitter. And as a young kid, just in my early teens, I was reminded, and I was taught, and I learned, it takes death to produce life. Last two weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity. We, uh, our neighbor died. Our neighbor was a veteran. We did the funeral at Washington's Crossing National Cemetery. Don't know if you've ever been to Washington's Crossing National Cemetery for a funeral. It's incredibly moving. Off to the left side, as we stood there at the 
place where they hold the ceremonies were seven men lined up with rifles. There was a 21-gun salute. Off in the background, there was a man holding a trumpet. And after the 21-gun salute, he did this. He played taps. And I don't know if you've ever stood at the gravesite where the casket is covered with an American flag and heard taps. It is as moving as anything can possibly be. And it is a reminder to us every day that it takes death to produce life. There is no other way. Why did God in the Bible record all the stories of the failure of all people beginning with Adam and Eve and David and Saul and Peter and you name them all? Why does the Bible take the time to record their failure? Because our failure points to the cross. Why did Paul say, if I glory, I will glory in my failure? Because that's what points to the cross. It takes death to produce life. As you celebrate tomorrow Memorial Day, and we celebrate the men and the women down through the course of human history in America that have given their lives so that we today can sit here and enjoy freedom. Be reminded and be grateful. Be eternally grateful because it takes that to produce freedom. It took the death of Christ to gain your freedom. And then it, what comes down to is all this. It's all about forgiveness and it's all about reconciliation. And that's what a church is all about. Because in that, it all points to the cross. Every aspect of our life points to the cross. Every aspect of human history, what's being written today, what is the greatest need of America today? America needs a savior, and it isn't Donald Trump. America needs a savior. It wouldn't have been Hillary Clinton. It's Christ. Every other aspect of our world, including your life and my life, is going to point to failure. It's going to point to death. And in doing so, we point to life. And that life is in Christ. Here's a recommendation for you tomorrow. In some part of your celebration as you get together and as you celebrate, get out your little computer, your laptop, your iPad, or your iPhone, whatever you have, and just stand around the picnic table and just play taps and be reminded we have what we have today in America because men and women have been willing to lay down their lives for freedom. And they still are. That's Memorial Day. Make sense? I will tell you, I hope you enjoy your celebration tomorrow. But I hope you're reminded that every aspect points to grace. Every aspect points to Christ. That's one message. You ready for another?
I think that's so, I think that is a, a fat, one of the fascinating studies that hit me was that God built death into creation right from the get-go. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. He did so with the plants, even the plants cry out and speak of Christ. Not only in their beauty, but in their death. Functioning in the body of Christ. We want to talk about it. Let's take time. Let's take a minute. Go to Romans chapter 12, would you? Let's just read the text in its entirety quick. This is an exposition of uh, Romans chapter 12. You're familiar with verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. I beseech you there, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice. That's the beginning of the practical section of the book of Romans. The doctrinal section of Romans is chapter 1 to 11. And uh, when you get to chapter 12, you begin what's known as the practical section of the book of Romans. And he's very, Paul is very practical with these people at this church. Beginning in verse 3, let's look at what he says. Let's read through. I'll read you follow the end of the chapter. It says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith as God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not wish evil upon them, the idea. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head, and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
That is one of the most powerful passages in all of the New Testament regarding life together. Life together is the hardest thing to accomplish. And I want to walk you through today this particular passage of Scripture. We said last week that the power of the church to accomplish mission is in the spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. That is a very important truth. The spiritual gifts that you get. A spiritual gift is something you get at salvation. Now, don't want to argue the point, but that some are unique, special gifts. And some are abilities that you have that may be used for the purpose of touching people eternally and for Christ. I kind of gave you the example last week of music. Lost people can sing, so can some of you. Is that a spiritual gift? It's an ability that God can use spiritually when it communicates a message of the cross. So spiritual gifts, when you look at this, the power of your church is in your gifts. That's where it is. That's the power of the New Testament church. Now, you say, is the word of God powerful? Absolutely. uh, God's word is is. It's powerful, it's sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword is what the the, the scriptures would say, right? So the power is in the word, but the power is in the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift at the moment of your salvation. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 would talk about that as well. Romans here gives us a, a kind of a sketch, a minimal sketch of the spiritual gifts. But I want you to understand The power of your church is in the gifts. So are you exercising your giftedness? That has to be. And many would say back to me, and I've heard this, well, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is. Okay, that's a problem. That is a serious problem because if you don't know your spiritual gift, you're going to struggle with what am I called to do? You need to understand your spiritual gift. You need to understand what it was. And we said last week this, what is your God-assigned strength? And second aspect of that is, what is your God-assigned weakness? Because what you're going to see in everybody's life as you you participate in church life is you're going to see everybody's strength, but even more, you're going to see everybody's weaknesses. And Paul said this, I will glory, I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses because that's going to point you to the cross and the necessity I have of needing Christ. So the power is here. Second thing we learned last week as we began to get into this is God's plan and the way God works is always this way. It's always by grace. In other words, what you get, you don't deserve. Okay? What I get, I don't deserve. And to be a grace-based church is this. You never give people what they deserve. You always give people what they don't deserve. That's grace-based. Now, always by grace, always by faith. Now, at the same time, I think this is how most everything works. If you were to go to the dealer tomorrow, a car dealer, and you wanted to buy a brand new car, it's by grace. Because you didn't do anything to make the car. You didn't do anything to build the car. You're just going to show up at the dealer and say, I'm interested in purchasing the car. So that car is available by grace. Someone else did all the work. Someone else designed it. Someone else engineered it. Someone else manufactured it. Somebody put it together. You walk to the dealership and say, I want that one. 
They always get a kick out of it because you want that one and you think it's the only unique one until you start driving around and you see there's 500 others just like yours, right? But you also purchase it in faith. You purchase it with a hope that what you're purchasing is going to function the way it was supposed to function. It's going to work and it's going to keep running for 27 years. So as you look at creation, most of creation and almost every aspect of the creation that we live in, it's always by grace. Someone provides what you can't provide. You, by faith, purchase it. God, that's God's plan. It's not only written into his church and written into his salvation. It's really written into every aspect of his creation. The difference when it comes to this and it comes to salvation, it comes to the church is You don't have to pay for it. You just have to accept it by faith because Christ paid for it. You didn't have to do anything to get spiritual gifts. You didn't have to purchase it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything. God graciously grants you what you don't deserve, a spiritual gift, so that you in the process of your life can be used by God with that spiritual gift to accomplish the mission that the Holy Spirit has been assigned to do, and that is build his church. So we looked at this concept. I want to just give you this, creation of Christ, because this is something that all of us need to really grasp. Everything in life is, is creation to Christ. It's becoming a way of evangelizing today to show the stories of Scripture and the You know, the the Bible is not so much a a theological, systematic book. It's a book of stories. And those stories communicate the story of redemption, the big story. But what God does is God puts into his creation aspects that point to what here is the physical, here is the spiritual. The physical picture of a body is we all have one. It is a picture of what the body of Christ looks like. It's an identical picture. So as you look at your hands, as you look at your feet, as you look at every aspect of your body, it's how the body of Christ should function. I'm sure when you got up this morning and you were going to brush your teeth, your hand didn't say to you, I'm not doing that. Your fingers didn't refuse to work. They did exactly what your head designed them to do and what your head told them to do. That's an illustration of exactly how the body of Christ should work. And that's why BJ, as he led us this morning, it's about the head. Because if we're all seeking to be in conjunction and to be in obedience to the head, then all of the body is going to function as it should. Now, Paul, in the context, is always concerned about two things. And these are the two greatest struggles you always have as a church. In verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, Paul is concerned about the purity of the church. Okay? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. One of the things, that, one of the main issues that churches always struggle with is the purity of the church. The second issue that is always a major issue, always a major issue, is the unity of the church. And so Paul in Romans chapter 12 deals with the purity of the church, and then he deals with the unity of the church. 
Now, if you want to see a like passage, you can go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at the last couple verses, 19 to 21, and you will see in that passage of scripture, when Paul wrote to Corinth, he was concerned about the purity of the church. He was concerned about the unity of the church. And I guarantee you this, whenever Satan attacks a church, he will always attack it in one of those two ways. Always. Your greatest struggle as a church is church purity and church unity. Always. And that's why when it comes to church discipline, you never put anybody out of the church for sins committed, ever. You only ever put someone out of the church in church discipline for a refusal to repent of those sins. Because all of us are guilty, we've all sinned, we're all guilty of impurity, and we're all guilty of disrupting the unity of the church. So if you're going to put somebody out, we all got to go out. That or there needs to be a spirit of forgiveness where you understand, I'm going to sin. You're going to sin. Everybody in here is going to sin. So what do we do? We come back to purity. Because purity is not this. Purity is not sinlessness. Purity is this. Right, let me ask it this way. When you get up in the morning and you begin to live your day, do you try to live without sin? Or do you try to live this way? When I sin, I'm going to confess it to God. Which of those is the gospel? Sinlessness, the gospel? You can't do that. You can't give sinlessness. Can I do this? If I sin, I seek immediate forgiveness and I seek immediate restoration. Can you do that? Which is the gospel? And if you'll do this one, you'll always be able to have unity and you'll always be able to strive toward purity. That's just how it works. Now, let's go on in this and let's develop this. Romans chapter 12, as we get into this passage, we're going to do verses 4 and 5 today. He says this. This is the common English version up here. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually, we belong to each other. Okay? Now, let's break this down. Let's talk, first of all, about the problem. Okay? Here's the potential problem. You ready? Many members. Now, that doesn't have to be a problem. But that normally is the problem. Many members. You know what my problem is? You. You know what your problem is? Me. Right? Your problem is me. My problem is you. Right? Many members, that's what you get. Okay. Here's the second problem. Many functions. But all the parts don't have the same function. 
Now, here's a problem. If you are not functioning in the area of your spiritual giftedness, number one, you are going to be frustrated. And number two, you're going to frustrate everybody around you. But if and when you are functioning where the Spirit has enabled you to function, you're going to do two things. One, you're going to love it. Because when you hit your sweet spot, you're going to love it. And two, everybody around you is going to be edified. But you get one person outside of their gift and this functioning, and it's going to throw the body into turmoil. Okay? Let's do this. Well, let's not do this, but let's think this. I want one of you to come up here and lay your finger. I was going to bring a hammer today. I want to lay your finger right there, and I want to take my hammer, and I just want to smash that as hard as I can smash it. Any volunteers? Now, some of you are construction workers. You've done that, right? But how often do we want to smash a body part? And we become good at smashing body parts. The problem that exists in churches, and not it's, it's all churches, many members, many functions. It's really not good when there's needs in a church. It's really not good to grab someone and just stick them into a position. That's not good. Now, that's a problem. See it? I mean, can you see this? That doesn't have to be a problem. It can be a blessing. Because if we understand there's many of us, and we understand there's various functions, we all function that way. It works well. Now, let's go on. Here is a picture, if you would, that I just want you to look at for a minute. And I want you to realize just the simple truth. Here's that truth. You are, as an individual, you are just a small part of this body here at Mount Calvary. Right? But I want you to see a bigger truth. Mount Calvary... It's just a small part of what God's doing globally. Okay? And if we all just stop and think for a minute, wait. Humility here is the key. I'm just a small part with a small task, but it's an important task because, first of all, the Holy Spirit thought it important enough to assign it to you. And that part, though small, is critical not only to what the Holy Spirit is doing here in Elizabethtown through Mount Calvary, but that small part that you play is critical to what God is doing globally. Do you see that? 
your function. See, God gifted you with that responsibility because God is doing something worldwide and you're a part of what he's doing worldwide by being a part of what he's doing in Mount Calvary Church. I think that's a big God. Now, let's look secondly at the solutions. If there's problems, there's solutions. And you know that Paul wrote this to the Romans. Guess what's happening at Rome? Guess what's going on at Rome? In the church at Rome. Not the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. But the church that began in Rome back when Paul was ministering. Guess what they were struggling with? Why do you think Paul writes this whole passage of Scripture? Because they're struggling with unity. So Paul writes and gives, here's the solution. Let's go through it. Solution number one, living as one body in Christ. He says this in his passage. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body. So when you bring up a member, lay a finger there and whack it, You see what's going on? You're whacking yourself. Because the Holy Spirit put that in there. And the solution is this. We are body. The only other way I know to illustrate, and the best way I know to illustrate this is, I have a relationship with my wife. Okay? There are two of us. You know, you know what makes the problems in marriage? Two people. Everything was great. Till you got married. And when you got married, you struggle. And I'm certain that even those of you that have been married for 43 years still don't agree on everything. Right? Oh, you, you do? You all have reached a point where after all these years, you're just in perfect harmony with each other and there's never a squabble. You know, when your wife comes to you and says, do the dishes, you're all, I would be so delighted to do the dishes. The nice thing about being married 43 years, there's only usually two of them. No, we don't always get along. But we have a saying, our saying with each other is always this. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. You're a team. You all are on the same team. We live as one body. He goes on, he says this. The the picture here is our physical body has many members, but only one body. So how do we function as one body? Allow the head to control all parts obedient to Christ. There it is. There it is. It's all parts sinless. Can't do that, can you? All parts living in obedience to Christ, we can do that. Now, Colossians would say it this way. He is the head of the body, the church. So if we all allow Christ to be head, this will take care of itself. Let's throw a second solution. The second thing he says that we need to live as family with each other. So however, as you interact with people, just remember, you interact this way. That's my family. That's my family. 
That's my family. My wife and I have had the opportunity to do some traveling over the years. We've enjoyed that. Some of the neatest things we did was we traveled to the Philippines together and in a little city called Kapalogan, Samar, we met with a church. When the church gathered there together, we were part of it. And we felt a part of it. We've been able to travel to Kenya, Africa, and Kenya, Africa be in the middle of a church that was culturally different than we are. But we were part of that church because the one common thing that brings us all together is Christ. And that's my brother. That's my sister. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my brother. You're my sister. Or as the songwriter said, we are family. But we don't always act like family, do we? We're family. Individually, we belong to each other. That's why it hurts when somebody leaves the church. It just does. Why? It's family. That's family. This hurts. It's family. It should be. See, we are family. How do you function as a family relationally at home? Easy. You understand your role. And you fulfill your responsibility. That's it. I don't go home and say, I'm the husband. You're doing what I'm saying. How do you think that's going to go over? But I can go home and say, I'm your husband. What can I do to help you? What can I do to make your life easier and better? I understand my role. I understand my responsibility. Now, what's your role? What has God assigned you? What is your spiritual gift? Paul would say this, if prophecy, then prophesy. If teaching, teach. If mercies, show mercy. If giving, give. What's your gift? And how are you exercising your gift in relation to those around you? That's what this passage is teaching. And what we do is, I know my role. My primary gift, just to tell you this, and just in, if, as I do spiritual gifts, and we're doing it right now, with, we're doing some spiritual gift assessment, PJ and some other, BJ, I think you're in on it. Some of us are just doing spiritual gift assessment. Mine's evangelism. Nothing stirs me more than being around lost people. I love it. I love it. Don't we, wife? She's got the gift, too. When we sat at a table last week at a wedding with a group of people that don't know Christ, that, that's our element. <laughs> That's our element. That's what we love. That's what stirs us. Evangelism. That may be your gift. If you sit at that table and you don't have that spiritual gift, you may not be, yeah, this isn't quite where I belong. That's okay. Because we not all have the same function, but we have to understand our role. So for me, I have to be in those settings. Now, 
for you, you have to understand, what's your gift? You should be able to tell me, if anybody walks up to you and says, what is your spiritual gift? What is it? And you should be able to say, that's not my spiritual gift. Because get outside of that, and you're not going to be Let's go on. This is how we should function in the church. Now, Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said this, So now, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. You're his family. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles. That was a spiritual gift. And prophets, that was a spiritual gift. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up in a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is the building you, Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. That's you. That's you. So it's not how do we get someone off this ship, it's how do we get people in this ship, and how do we help grow each other. But I'll just tell you this, growth is painful. It's painfully painful. Just is. Now, as you go on here, here's the challenge. Okay? How to achieve unity. That's why Paul writes this whole passage of Scripture. How do we achieve unity? Let me give you a couple thoughts. Talk about how. First of all, your attitude is foundational. He says in this passage, he says, because of the grace that God has given, that gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. So that's attitude. Attitude is foundational. Well, like I said, Winston Churchill said it this way, okay? Winston Churchill said, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference, Right? Corporate world says it this way. Attitudes equals behaviors drives results. Attitudes drive behavior. Behavior drives results. As a believer, I don't inject in that. Beliefs are the basis. Beliefs, then attitudes, then behaviors, then results. Okay? Attitude is foundational. Critical. So what's your attitude toward people in the church? Right? Okay, which one are you? I'm thinking if you say, which one is the other person? You can, don't, we won't do that. Which are you? Any of uh, those guys in the church? Any of uh, this in the church? Yeah, so-and-so's that, so-and-so's that. But which am I? Attitude is foundational. Secondly, activity is relational. No escape in this one. Activity is relational. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. Everything is relational in the church. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are relational. They function. They each have been assigned a role, and they each function in their role. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't say, I want what Christ did. Christ doesn't say, I want to do what God the Father does. They understand their role and they understand their responsibility. They function. The Spirit or the, the God is relational. So when you look at this thing, attitude is foundational. Activity is all relational. Now, as you get into that, it's this. Glad to serve. Glad to serve. And the activity is this. Privileged to serve together. Many parts. We don't all have the same function. We need each other side by side. And that's what brings about unity. Unity is not something that we seek out to achieve. Unity is something we stumble across on the path of obedience. So unity comes as you do this. One, focus on how God has gifted you. Two, focus on obedience and who you can help exercise their gifts in serving others. Here's Mount Calvary's statement. At Mount Calvary Church, we believe the Bible describes believers as members of a body with the expectation that we all contribute to the body for a common purpose, the glory of God. Therefore, Mount Calvary Church is not simply a place to attend, but a community of people doing life together. And may I just add this? That's messy. Okay? You go, you, the statement goes on and says this, where everyone can be vulnerable. Can they? Are you going to allow that? Or is that just a statement you put on paper? Honest and accountable and authentic. You really want that? You really want people to be able to be themselves with all of their mess and all of their goodness? Or is that just a statement you want on paper? Because it Sounds good, looks good, but is that how you function? Okay. Can I ask you this way? One of the biggest failures in the New Testament was Peter. Peter, when Christ was going to the cross, denied Jesus three times. Would you allow Peter to be your pastor? Let's go to Paul. Well, Paul was a murderer. Paul actually murdered Stephen, was responsible for the death of Stephen. Could the Apostle Paul be your pastor? See, it's messy in the body. But both of them were restored through forgiveness and reconciliation and the answer would be this yes you'd love Peter to be your pastor yes you'd love Paul to be their pastor but it would still be messy 
that's why 2 Corinthians was written. Paul had to defend himself from all the accusations. Go on. God's design for his people is not to live in isolation, but to live in relationship that demonstrate his love and his good works. Our desire is to see people live in Christ-centered community. I'm going to tell you something right now. That is going to be one of the most difficult statements to achieve that you have ever written on paper as a church. Ever. That's big, guys. But that's a great statement. That's what you want. That's what the body looks like. As you leave today, your homework is this. Look up two or three different people and say this. Hey, we're on the same team. We're on the same team. Let's function like team. Get it? That's hard. So what we're going to do is Ryan Martin, one of your elders, is going to come. He's going to lead us in a prayer of dedication, a prayer of commitment to say, God, we really need you to be able to accomplish this. As I was thinking, you know, as Paul was preaching, I, you know, I'm now a dad and part of a family, and uh, my family of four is not always pretty. Uh, if we can just get to bed without screaming at each other, you know, it's been a good night, right? Uh, and there are times when we go to bed or whatever the time is, I'll just use bedtime as my example, where there's yelling and screaming and why aren't you listening and no, you don't need to get another drink and no, you already went to the bathroom four times. Like, and, you know, and at the end, oftentimes I go back downstairs and I have to remind myself, I blew it. I blew it. We're on the same team. What am I doing? And even in those moments that are ugly and messy, it gives me a chance to go back to my kids and say, you know what? Daddy blew it last night. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have acted that way. Because we're on the same team. And I don't usually say we're on the same team, but that's, that's what I'm getting at. Is I don't, you don't deserve to be treated that way. I shouldn't have done that. And even in my mess, I can, I can proclaim the goodness of God and the, the gospel in asking for their forgiveness. And uh, so I just encourage you, like, family is messy. It is uh, and because I think it's like my own kids, like I know they're not going anywhere. I got to, we got to figure it out. Right. So like we work at it, uh, but it's not pretty. And so, um, I just encourage you, even as you think about your family relationships and then extending that to each other, that this is a team and we're not going anywhere. So let's figure it out and, and love each other. So let's pray. Father, uh, I, I acknowledge for myself that I, uh, very imperfectly execute, the idea of living together as a team in this church. And I think to me, it comes when I decide I want to be the head. I want to be the one who, who controls. I want, to be, I want things my way. And God, I pray that you would help me and help us to recognize that our, um, our greatest uh, way that we can live as a family, as we can live as one, is when we recognize and acknowledge who the head is, that the head of the church, the head of the body is, is Jesus, and he's worthy to be the head, that he, there's nothing that we could do that would ever 
uh, that, that could possibly be better than having Jesus be the head. And I for, ask for forgiveness when we forget that. Ask for forgiveness when we think that we know better, when we think we can, uh, we can do this on our own. And God, I pray that we would just again come to that repentance and knowledge that it's you, it's your goodness, it's, it, it, it's you that's the head. And that we would remember that we've, we are on the same team, pulling the same rope in the same direction with the hope and the, and the goodness of the gospel going forward that we could impact this world for you. And so I pray even as we have a small part here that you would help us to be faithful in, in, in doing what you've called us to do in our small area of influence but remembering that it's part of your gospel work you're doing around the world. And may we just be one body with one head, and that head being you, that you would then be exalted over all, as even we're going to sing about here in a minute. We're thankful for your, your grace and your love in our lives and pray that that would be the transforming work as we go forward from here, that it's because of Jesus and what he has done on the cross that we can now become one, one body living for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.